So, um, I, I came in here this morning, and um, and I put my stuff down, and I sat down in it, um, which I don't expect you to be impressed by, frankly. Uh, why would you? That wouldn't make any sense. Except, here's the thing, I, before sitting down in that pew, you know what I didn't do? I didn't do like a full, like, 16-point inspection of that pew, right? I didn't get, like, down and, like, look at every single, like, joint and, like, screw and everything where, where everything joins and make sure that when I sat down on that pew, it wasn't going to just collapse underneath me. I didn't, I didn't do that, which some might say is irresponsible. Sure, but I like to live on the edge. What's really happening there, though, is that that's, that, that's just faith. That's all that is. Right? And, and I think every single one of you, you are, yes, you're all sitting. Cool. So you all sat down in something this morning, uh, whether it's a pew or a different chair or whatever, and I didn't see any of you doing that inspection that I mentioned. So every single one of you has expressed faith to some extent already this morning. Good job. Strong start. Okay. But here's the thing. Like I said earlier, that's not super impressive, right? That's easy. We do that all the time. I'm sure you sit and put all of your weight onto things all the time. It's part of the human experience. We just do it all the time, and we have that faith, though. You never really can be 100% certain, unless you do that inspection, that what you're going to sit in is not going to collapse. But you just do it anyway because your faith is that strong in that particular instance. So faith seems almost easy and commonplace when you explain it in those terms, right? So why is it something that we as Christians tend to struggle with so much? And there's been so many messages on, on faith and books written about strengthening your faith. If it's that easy, you all did it already this morning. What? I want to get into why it's not so easy. First of all, I want to actually pull up my notes. Uh, I, I made it a record uh, length into my sermon without looking at my notes. That's right. I made it past the intro. Whew. My security blanket here. All right. So... I want to jump right into the scripture we're going to read today, because uh, obviously today I want to talk about faith and um, kind of some of the intricacies of it that we see. Now, we're going to be in Luke. You might have noticed that already up on the screen there. And while you're turning there, um, obviously it's not Christmas anymore. It is no longer the 25th of December, but that's still there, and that and that and those, and all of that stuff. And my Christmas tree is still up in my house, and I still plug the lights in all the way up until the 31st, usually, sometimes a little bit past if I'm lazy. So I'm still feeling like it's a little bit like Christmas. So I want to look at something tangentially Christmas, really. Not even tangentially. This is part of the Christmas story. But we're not going to look directly at Jesus and Joseph and Mary. We're going to look at their relatives, Mary's relatives specifically. So let's jump into Luke 1, right at verse 5 here. So in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. I'm never sure how to pronounce that, but Abijah, Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Now they were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both advanced in years. Now, it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. 
And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, Don't be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, because he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will drink no wine, no liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner to turn him, or before him, in spirit, and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children, and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous, so to, as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Let's pause right there at verse 17. So, a little bit of elaboration on Zacharias here. You may have be sort of familiar. Like I said, we don't always focus as much on his story and his wife's story uh, around Christmas time. But a little background uh, to kind of paraphrase what was said here. This guy was a priest, and he was a real, real priesty priest. Like he was very, he was up there. This, this, this guy. Let me see here. Look at some of these. Uh, this list of descriptions of here. Uh, just what he was doing. He was performing his priestly service before God. This is verse 8. In the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was married to a descendant of Aaron, which was a family line that was priestly itself. This guy was, was in it. This guy, if anybody knew and understood God, his word, the law, the prophets, the histories of the the Jewish people and their interactions with God, it would have to be this guy. Okay, now that's important. This guy had a lot of God knowledge. This guy should have got it, right? Here's the thing. Um, We're going to read on. Uh, And you're going to see that maybe he doesn't quite get it. Verse 18. Zechariah said to the angel, How will I know this for certain? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. The angel answered and said to him, uh, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and bring you his good news. Now behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. The people were waiting for Zacharias and were wondering at his delay in the temple. But when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. When the days of his priestly service were ended, he went back home. And after these days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant. And she kept herself in seclusion for five months, saying, This is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace among men. Let's pause again there. So, uh, you may have, have, have heard this kind of line of reasoning before, and maybe even thought this yourself at times. I, most of us get to a point where we do, where you think, you know, if, if, if God, why does God even require faith? That's the thing, right? He's, he's all-powerful. He can do literally whatever he wants. So if he wants so badly for me to believe in him, or for me to know what his will is, but just, just show up, in front of me and say, hello, I am God, undeniably, here's some proof, now here's exactly what you need to do. If you could just do that, I wouldn't even need faith. I, I, I would just know, because he'd be right there in front of me. Except, 
here we have a story of exactly that thing happening to somebody, not even somebody who sh- would, you would think would be lacking in faith, someone whose faith was already strong, who was already very religious, and literally God sends his own messenger that is clearly from him to this guy, says, here is exactly what God is saying will happen. Here is exactly what will happen. I'm an angel of the Lord. I think you know this. And you still have Zacharias, a priest, going... Yeah, 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 but, but how can I know, like, for sure? I don't know. So that line of reasoning, kind of flawed. This is why faith is required to believe in God, because God... Uh, oh, sorry, before I move on, I was going to move on to a different point, but something I wanted to mention here. What happens to Zechariah, he expresses a lack of faith. He shows a lack of faith. And what God does, because of this, is he takes his voice away from him. For an amount of time. And I think that's interesting. uh, Because think about what you use to influence people the most. Obviously your actions are a huge influence on the people around you. But when we think of it, uh, if you want to convince somebody to do something, generally you're going to go talk to them. You use your voice. You're going to write something. That's called your voice, you know, in a way as well. Our voice is one of our main influencers, and if that's gone, if that's taken away from us, if you ever lost your voice, many of you, uh, I think, are, are or have been teachers. If you've ever had to teach a class with your voice about halfway here, it's very hard to get small children or even adults under control because they won't listen, because it's harder to hear. Your influence is taken away when your voice is taken away. When you don't have faith as a Christian, when you lack faith, you lack influence for God. And that's an interesting parallel. I don't know if that was done necessarily on purpose. I'm sure it's no accident that I I happen to see the parallel there. Uh, God works in all of us in different ways at different times, but I think that the parallel there is interesting, that when Zacharias displays a lack of faith, something that would remove part of his influence for God, that would make him make it more difficult for him to change people for God and bring them closer to God. God responds by taking away his voice, taking away in a very visceral and real way his influence. I think that's interesting. I'm going to skip ahead a few verses here. Uh, in fact, we're going to skip the Jesus parts. I know. What? Seriously. Uh, and we're going to go to verse 57. Now, The time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had displayed his great mercy toward her, and they were rejoicing with her. And it happened that on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to call him Zacharias after his father. But his mother answered and said, No, no, instead he he should be called John. And they said to her, There's no one among your relatives who's called by that name. And they made signs to his father, like, you know, what, what do you want him to be called? But his, <clears throat> excuse me, lost my place there. 63, and he asked for a tablet. Tablet. And he wrote, and he wrote as follows. His name is John. And they were all astonished. And at once his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed. And he began to speak in praise of God. I'll come back to that later. But here's, here's what I want to move on to at this point. Um. While faith is essential 
for a Christian life, for just life in general. Like I mentioned, if you walk out there with no faith in the infrastructure or the road you're walking on, you got to have some level of faith in it or else you're not going to leave your house because you're going to be terrified. You're not going to be able to function. Faith is essential for a functioning adult human person. It's also even more essential for a Christian. But while faith is essential, fear is inevitable. And that's the problem that we face when we try and exercise our faith is fear. Um, let's talk about angels. Uh, so you got the angel Gabriel, right? Uh, he appears to Zacharias. And you think angel. Okay, angel. Angel. Pretty uh, shiny, basically just a, just a dude or a lady with, with really clean clothes and uh, a little bit shiny, nice hair, and uh, wings maybe. Angel. Awesome. Except... Um, it probably isn't super-duper accurate what you're looking at here. This is one of those more uh, uh, cultural depictions of it. It's kind of what we get from things like Dante's Inferno, which is not uh, in the Bible, in case you were confused. Um, not so much maybe what angels looked like, because every time these angels show up, and I've mentioned this before, you may have noticed this in Scripture, every time it seems like they show up to a human, one of the first things i got to say is, hey, relax, like don't be afraid chill. Because angels are scary. Not just the fact that, like, here's a person in my room. Sure, that would be scary in the first place, but they are described as being terrifying. This angel in particular, well, drawing of the angel that I'm talking about, Gabriel showed up to only three people throughout the course of the Bible. Uh, Zacharias, as we saw, we just skipped the part where he showed up to Mary. And also, back in the Old Testament, he showed up to Daniel. And all three of these people are described as being terrified. So this might be a little less accurate. You might be looking at something a little bit more like this. That's better. Yes. You can hear the guitar solo, can't you? Yes. Okay. Probably not, not necessarily exactly accurate either, but it looks way cooler and it would be a lot more terrifying. Now picture something like that showing up. You're in the temple. You're doing your job that you've been assigned to that you've done. I don't even know how many times before. You're just offering the incense to God. You know how the thing works. And then, ah, why? Angels are scary. God himself is scary, okay? You think back to the book of Exodus, right? When the, the Israelites and Moses, he's up on the mountain getting the law from God. He goes up to Mount Sinai, and it's described not just as like a cloud. A cloud is one of the words that's used, but in Exodus 24, I want to say, yeah, Exodus 24, 17, it's described as a consuming fire on the top of... You have a mountain that is surrounded by a fire tornado, and Moses is there because that's where God is. That's scary. God is scary. Just by virtue of being as all-powerful and incomprehensible as he is, God is terrifying. And that's what makes faith a little bit difficult. A little bit. See, um... We've got this response from Zacharias. After he gets over his fear, you think. You know, he's not panicking. He's not screaming. But he still expresses fear. Because let's compare his reaction to, well, the reaction of somebody else that Gabriel showed up to. Uh, Mary. You see, you might find yourself thinking when you read this story, like, now, wait wait a minute. It doesn't seem fair that God would, would punish Zacharias like that for just asking a question. Mary did the same thing, you know. Angel Gabriel shows up and says, hey, you will conceive, give birth, you will be called Jesus. And she asks, well, how can this be since I'm a virgin? She 
questioned as well, why was she not struck mute? Why was she not really punished in any way? Uh, it comes down to a hard attitude, as with so many other things in the Christian life and in the pages of this book. It comes down to the attitude of the heart. Here's the thing. Zacharias, and I think I may have mentioned this, was a priest. And his life was dedicated to becoming a priest. And then once he was a priest, it was dedicated to being a priest, to the scriptures, to studying them. It's ingrained at this point. An angel of the Lord comes to him, tells him what's going to happen, and he doesn't say, well, how's God going to do this? He doesn't say, explain to me how that works exactly. What he says is, how can I be sure? That's the question he asks. Not, how is it possible? Well, with all things, or with God, all things are possible. No, he asks, how can I be sure this is what's going to happen? A man who has studied Israel's history and his relationship with God his entire life, who has seen God's faithfulness again and again and again and again to his people and the fact that he never once does not follow through on a promise that he makes. A guy who knows this. A guy who would absolutely have known the story of Abraham, who God came to and said, hey, I know you and your wife Sarah are advanced in age. I know that you think she's barren. Surprise, no, you're having a kid. And they had that kid, and that was the beginning of the Israelite nation. Zacharias knew that. He knows that God does things like this. And yet when God comes to him, sends a messenger, sends Gabriel, and he says, I'm basically going to do exactly that thing that I did with Abraham. You know the one. He says, yeah, but can I be sure that you can really, can I believe you? Can I trust you, God? That's the difference. Mary does not express... And, by the way, Mary, not a priest. You might have known that. She was a common person, just out there living life. She probably had familiarity with the scriptures because she grew up in a Jewish community, but not a priest. But she still doesn't even question whether she can trust God. She doesn't ask, can I believe you? Tell me, show me, prove to me that I can believe the word of God. No, she says, okay, how is that possible exactly? She probably still had fear a little bit. I don't know. She's not described uh, as being especially fearful except for the initial appearance of the angel, which, again, scary. See, figure A. But... She gets over that fear. She gets past that fear because of faith. Fear stands often in the way of faith. Or fear exists where there is no faith. So if we want to address a lack of faith in ourselves, we need to address the source of the fear that's stopping us. And that source is change or or unfamiliarity. Right? For example, so um, I'm going to show an image up here, and those of you who are more sensitive or who are easily startled should probably look away. Well, okay, so is everybody ready to... Are you too late? Too late! That's terrifying! Ah! Look at it! Savage creature, the one on the left. I should make that clear. <laughs> now this is my dog. I was going to put pictures of both my dogs up, but the other one that I got didn't work. It was him. It was, it was upside down. He was like, ah. I describe this, and I show this picture because 
Uh, I met somebody over this last year. Uh, he was a foreign exchange student staying with my mother-in-law, and he was from Spain, from Madrid. And uh, Katie was telling me a bit about this guy before we met him, and she mentioned that it was, you know, it's interesting with uh, her mom having a dog in the house because he's scared of dogs. I'm like, he's how old is he? Because he's pretty much an adult, I want to say. And he's scared. She's like, well, yeah, he's, he's terrified of dogs because, and I didn't know this, where he grew up, they don't do pets, like, like animals at all in the house. That's insane to take an animal those go outside to take that and put it inside of your house. How would you? What? Who is doing that? Why would you do that? That's the mindset there. They just don't do pets. And so he walks into a house in this insane country where we just take wild animals and live with them, I guess. And he now has to live in a house with a furry tooth beast and he's expected to sleep at some point. What? That was terrifying for him. This guy, he got over it eventually to some extent. But I bring up that example because you kind of got a chuckle out of it, right? It seems silly. Why would somebody be so scared? It's unfamiliarity. We've grown up. Now, I've grown up with a dog in my house pretty much at all times. Uh, and everyone in here has at least grown up in a society or a, or a community where people own dogs. That's not scary. We're familiar with it. We know it. We see a dog, we got a pretty good idea how to treat it, or, you know, leave it alone. Now, if there's a dog off the leash that you're not familiar with that's running towards you, you might be scared because you're not familiar with it. Here's the thing. The things we fear are not the things we are used to. Adults, generally, not still afraid of the dark. I remember I was afraid of just the dark as a child. I needed the door to my bedroom to be open just a little bit to allow some light in, or I had a nightlight. I uh, don't do that anymore. Well, okay, by choice I don't do that anymore. Our neighbors have this patio light that's it's very bright. and I can't, Anyway, not the time. But I'm not, I don't need that to fall asleep without, without quaking in fear. Because over the course of my life, I've had to walk through dark places. I've had to find my way through places where there was no light, no way to see what's there. And by definition, that takes faith. Right, Because if you literally cannot see what's in front of you, you have to just walk out on faith and maybe be careful. You know, you don't want to stub your toe, but there's a certain amount of faith involved. And the more you exercise that faith in that particular uncomfortable or unfamiliar scenario, the stronger your faith will be and the more your fear will decrease. Right? You know, maybe if you... uh, The chair that you sat on right before sitting down this morning did collapse you might be a little bit more wary of things that you sit on because that fear has returned a little bit and pushed out some of that faith. But as adults, we don't fear the dark because now we're familiar with it. The conception, respectively, of Jesus uh, and John, these were... Whoops, that's not what I wanted to go. Go back. Ignore that. That's later. Spoilers. Uh, Just put it up on a blank slide if you guys would. Uh, The conception of Jesus and John, these were deviations from the norm. These were completely unheard of types of things. Well, in John's case, not completely. Obviously, like I mentioned, we'd seen God uh, make it so that people who were advanced in age or otherwise barren were able to give birth. We'd seen that done before with Abraham and Sarah. Jesus, 
totally off the grid. We've, we've, we have never experienced a virgin birth. That's, that's, we don't have anything to compare that to. That's completely uncharted territory. And for Zacharias, his wife getting pregnant, him encountering an actual angel in the temple of the Lord, that is unfamiliar territory. It's a deviation from the norm. It's scary. And he was scared. And he let that fear push his faith out. A man who should be a faith leader, was a faith leader in his community. It says early on in those verses that the entire multitude was gathered outside. This guy was a faith leader. And you think, you know, if only, if only I had the faith of, you know, big, big you know, Billy Graham, if I had the faith of you know, Mother Teresa, Hudson Taylor, whoever else you can think of that's a faith leader. If only, ah, if only I had the faith of them. This was that guy that... The common Israelites, man, I wish I was as in tune with God as Zacharias. He gets it. But fear is strong. And uh, often human faith can be weak. And in Zacharias' case, for that moment, how can I trust God? How can I really believe that you're going to do what you say you're going to do, God? That was fear taking over and faith being pushed out. And this coming change, by the way, that Zacharias' son would go out and announce and that Mary's son would bring about, this was a huge change that was coming. And I don't know if Zacharias fully understood the implications of what was going to happen. I don't think he really necessarily knew the historical impact, the historical context, all of that. But it was huge. Everything that he had poured his life into, that he had ate, slept, and breathed. It's hard to do that phrase in the past tense, by the way. Everything that he was locked in with, that whole old law and traditions was being fulfilled. Those processes, the sacrifices, the incense, the drawing lots to see who goes into the temple, all of that was going to change. And that was what That was how Israel had related to God for generations and generations and generations and generations. It's how it had always, literally always been between Israel and God. And it was all about to change and become insanely unfamiliar. And if you read throughout the book of Acts or some of Paul's letters, you'll see people who had been in that tradition letting fear take over and push out faith, saying, no, 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 we can't, this is too much change. Well, we can't, we can't do our sacrifices anymore? What? Well, you, don't, you think you can just be saved without being circumcised at this point? No, you can't do that. That's not how it works. We can't change that, even though I'm sure God said we're changing it. Jesus said that that's not necessary anymore. But no, we have to, to hold on to this right, right here, because this is my tradition. This is what I know. This is what I understand. And that is not, and it's scary, and I don't want it. That's not how being one of God's children works. That's not faith. That's human nature. The desire to cling so desperately to what you already understand? (laughs) Why wouldn't you want to move forward into things that you don't understand, that God will show you better things? Abraham, when God told him, I'm going to take you somewhere. Pack up your stuff. We're going to go somewhere. I'll show you. 
Abraham is cited in, in, in Hebrews in that faith chapter, excuse me, in that faith chapter, as being a, a giant of faith because by faith, Abraham just got his stuff and left. Said, okay, I don't know where I'm going, but God has something better than what I already know. Zacharias wasn't ready to accept that. Eventually he was. You see later where when uh, they're squabbling about this kid's name, he writes down on his tablet, not I want to name him John. Not his name should be John. He writes down his name is John because that's what God said. That's what the angel said to me. That's God's word. There's no question at this point. His name is John. I don't care what any of you say. And you see his speech come back after that. Because I think he learned a little something about faith. I think his faith was stronger for that experience. He understood that what God said would happen. What God said is true. Whether it's been fulfilled yet or not, it's really just a matter of when. But what God says is true. He got that eventually. Adults don't fear the dark because we have confronted it. We've had to. Darkness by nature has to be approached by faith. I mentioned that earlier. And as your faith increases, your fear is going to diminish. Um, today, the year 2017 ends. Uh, and I, it's something I've noticed and mostly on, online, like on Facebook and things, but you'll hear people talk about this as well. Uh, when we get around to the end of a year that's been especially rough in a lot of ways, you'll hear a lot of people start to personify the year, you know? I'm like, oh, good riddance to, ah, get out of here. You brought us a lot, of, a lot of terrible stuff, awful things. Get out of here, 2017. And I always think that's kind of funny because the way we measure time like that, it's arbitrary, Right? We just kind of decided we're going to start here at this point at the sun, and then once we get back, that's the year. Cool. Obviously, it was a little more complex than that. I don't science very well, but I still know that it's a pretty arbitrary, eh, we, we're, just, we're, we're going around the sun, and we decided that this is where we're going to start measuring it, and that's where the measurement is going to restart every time we get there. Okay, cool. It doesn't actually mean anything. God did not ordain how we measure years. That changes across time and across cultures. Uh, People use different calendars today from the ones that that we in this room use. The new year, that's just a social construct that we made up. But we use it to signify, to symbolize change, right? We use it to uh, make resolutions. I'm going to... I'm going to do this. I'm going to change this about myself. I'm going to do this better. I'm going to... Whatever. Because we think of it as a new beginning. And it's a nice nice kind of way to get our heads into that space of of being ready to begin anew. But... I feel like... Did we not sing this song this morning that had a line that said, uh, Your mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Every single morning. And that's the thing. Every day that God gives us, every time we wake back up in the morning, that's another 
That's just, it's, it's new. Things are new again. It doesn't have to be January 1st for everything to be new. It doesn't have to be a new year for God to mold you on that day, this day, whatever day, into something completely different than you were the day before. So, coming into this new year, I'm not going to ask you to make resolutions. Maybe you will, maybe you won't. That's fine. I'm not condemning them either. Uh, but here's what I want you to think about. We already mentioned uh, earlier, somebody brought up Romans uh, 12.2. Uh, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I've mentioned this before. I've touched on it before. That be transformed is not a one-time thing. It's not like this, now this. It's not like the, the Transformers where your car, now giant killer robot tank thing from space. It's a, weird, it's a weird movie series, guys. It's a constant thing. It's a continuous. It's be transformed as in be transformed now, continue to be transformed the next minute and the next minute and the next day, year, and so on. I'm going to be hidden behind this if I go much further down the timeline. It's a constant process. God is building you. He is building your faith by drawing you into places that are unfamiliar, situations, people, experiences that are not familiar. Embrace his leading. Follow him into the dark. It's hard. It's scary because you don't know what's in there. But he does. And the more you follow him, the more times that happens, the more you confront the dark with God leading you there. Fear diminishes, faith increases. Keep that in mind. God, I uh, want to thank you for uh, this morning, for this church. Uh, grow your people every day. Um, I pray that we look to you for that growth. I pray that we uh, would be sensitive to your guiding, sensitive to your voice, and willing to follow you uh, into what scares us. Because you have better things for us on the other side. And God, I pray that we would trust you in that. So it's in your name. Amen. Thank you so much, Peter, for that word this morning. And I trust it spoke to you where you're at, what you're going through. Uh, this is the last day for Peter and for Katie. And we want to uh, let them know our love. And you guys are stepping out into that which is unfamiliar. Um, and so that that message is fitting for all of us, but it's also very fitting for you. And so um, I, I love the truth of what you shared with us this morning. We want to want you to know again that we love you both, and uh, Peter has served as our youth pastor here uh, for almost five years. This February, it marks five years, and, and we want to say thank you. We also want to recognize, Katie, all that you have done in standing by your man, by your husband, but also the various ways that you have served our church family. Um, especially, I, I think, especially of uh, the ways that you have worked with our children 
in heading up the children's ministry. So a big thank you to you for what you have done. And Peter, thank you for the way that you have led our worship here. Um, it has it has been a blessing to the church body. So Mark and Elise have put together a slideshow that we would like to show at this time. And then after that, we would like to have a time of prayer for Peter and Katie. So if the slideshow is ready, uh, we will show that at this time here. <laughs> All right. May you know that you are loved, both of you, and we appreciate you. Thank you very much. I take some time to pray, and I understand that uh, Pastor Dave before me uh, had just, uh, and uh, I think whenever someone would take off from this body, it was we circle them in prayer, and that is so fitting. And so, Peter and Katie, if you would, I'd like us to do the same thing that Pastor Dave began. So if the two of you would be willing to just come to the middle here and church family, if we can gather around them, let's do this at this time. Father, we come to you. We want to say thank you. Thank you for the work that you do in and us, in and through us, Lord. And, Father, thank you for the gift of salvation. Thank you that you have called both Peter and Katie to yourself. Uh, we give you praise first and foremost for that. Uh, Peter is our brother. Katie is our sister. And we are family. And... We are, we are grateful that we are family. And, Father, we also want to say thank you. Um, we thank you that they have been faithful to serve you here at Kingwood. It's been close to five years, and we say thank you for, for that. Thank you for using them here. Thank you for using them at Kingwood. Thank you for using them in the community here. And, Father, that isn't, that's nothing that, that, it's not us, it's you, but it's you choosing to work through us as individuals, and I thank you that you have worked through Peter and Katie. Father, for what lies ahead, it's unfamiliar. It's, it's, it's something new, and it's different, and I just pray that what Peter spoke might be true, that, that fear would not dominate, but that faith would so, Father, as they step forward, uh, you have you provided a job, a new job for Katie. Thank you for that. Um, we pray that you will provide uh, the right, just the, the perfect fit for Peter. You know what it is that you have in mind. And, Father, give them faith to know that you are providing. And you have always been faithful. And you will continue to prove that faithfulness to Peter and Katie. So, Father, we give you praise. Uh, thank you for this, this time. Thank you for Peter and Katie. Thank you for their service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Peter. Thank you, Katie. We love you. We're going to close with one song so you may 
We turn to your seats for a moment before we dismiss.